Last week, we worked our way through Isaiah 59, which concluded uh, with the promise that God would provide a redeemer for mankind. Jesus is that redeemer. Uh, The conclusion is Jesus is our hope. He is everything that we expect. He is all that we have longed for. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And, And Jesus is why we're here today. It's because of that very hope that we gather together week after week. It draws us back because we recognize he's it. He's our hope. It's not this group of people. It's Jesus. We love this group of people. We love this church. But it's Jesus who keeps bringing us back. And today we move into Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, We've been in this short series and we'll be in it again next week. uh, Just covering Christmas prophecies. Looking at what those prophets had to say in relation to Jesus, there's some uh, ones that are more well-known than others. We're kind of looking at maybe some of the more obscure because the whole of the Old Testament uh, points towards the coming of the Redeemer. But before we look at Isaiah 60, there's, there's two points about prophecy and how it often works that I want to explain. Have you ever stood on top of a mountain peak And as you look out from that mountain peak, uh, you're there in maybe a range of mountains, you see another mountain peak, and beyond that mountain peak, you see another mountain peak, and then another mountain peak. Uh, I just remember this from standing on top of Pikes Peak there in Colorado, and you kind of look out, and you can just see mountain peak after mountain peak after mountain peak. Well, what's missing in your perception? What's missing is the valleys that exist between the mountain peaks. There's a vastness that you cannot see as you look at peak after peak after peak. From your vantage point, it's impossible to see all of those valleys beyond and between the towering peaks. Prophecy is like that. Prophecy is like that. In prophecy, we see the peaks, but we don't see the valleys. We see the events that God has has propped up for us to see. They're on display for us to notice, but we do not see the spaces that lie between those particular peaks or events. We do not see, we'll word it this way, the time that exists between those peaks that we see throughout the Scriptures. The other point regarding prophecy is this. Oftentimes, there are multiple points of fulfillment to a given prophecy. This is something that honestly, uh, over the years, the more I've studied the Bible, the more I see that God works in these patterns and, and God works in these themes and we see partial fulfillment of something that will come later in a full fulfillment. God works not in hours and minutes. God works in centuries and millennia. And we're here to examine some of those prophecies that he's made. And if that last point I make doesn't make sense, I hope it will as we look at our text together today and so let's begin by considering the glory of Yahweh Isaiah chapter 60 we're going to be pretty scripture heavy today and so some of these we're going to have on the screen for you as we work through uh, some of these verses and passages together but we're just going to read the first two verses to get us started here arise shine for your light has come And the glory of the Lord, the glory of Yahweh, has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness, the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. Let's pray. Father, we 
Come now asking for your blessing. What, what an encouragement our time together has been already today. Singing those songs of the hope that we know because of Jesus in His first advent. Lord, the prayers that have been prayed in preparation for today, Lord, we just ask that You work now as we consider Your truth. Fill us with hope. Help us to understand Your love for us. Help us to leave here today amazed at Your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with verses 1 and 2 in the dawn of light. Israel is here invited uh, to, to wake up, to arise. Uh, they're being called to action. Why? Because the dawn has come. He says, your light, your light has come. What a great call to worship. That would be really every week as we think of gathering together, every day as we wake up in the morning. Your light has come, arise. Let's begin this day together. But this is no normal sunrise that Israel is experiencing. Something greater than the sun, S-U-N, is coming to Israel. The glory of Yahweh, he says, is risen among you. We're not talking about the sun, S-U-N. We're talking about the sun, S-O-N. This is good news. This is a good news verse that's followed immediately by a reminder of Israel's sordid past. Every day the sun rises to chase away the darkness, but as verse 2 suggests, the night has been long for Israel. The darkness has been pervasive. He uses a couple words. He says it's thick. It's a thick darkness. It's a, a deep darkness. We've probably all at least experienced that in our own lives on a, on a moonless night, a starless night where, where we're just out and all you, you can see is just a few feet in front of you because it's just dark. Consider for a moment the dark history of Israel. You know, not one week removed from the glory of Exodus and what are they doing? They're already complaining. They're already grumbling. Not too many weeks removed from Egypt in the Exodus. What do we find them doing? Moses is on top of the mountain and there's all of these glorious things that are happening on top of the mountain. And what are they doing at the base of the mountain? They're making an idol. They're already engaging in idolatry that they've brought with them from Egypt. And I need to say more than the book of Judges. One of the darkest periods in Israel's history. The book culminates with a man who dismembers his concubine into 12 pieces and he sends these pieces to the heads of the tribes of Israel across the nation as a call to action to say, this is what we've become. This is the darkness that we're engaged in. It's thick. We move into the kings and things don't get much better. The divided kingdom that happens. Israel's not even one nation anymore. It's split into two. Assyrian captivity is looming for them as Isaiah would even pen these words. And so now after this, this long night comes a promise that, that the dawn is coming. The, the psalmist says it so well in Psalm 30 verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now notice the promise at the end of verse 2 again. His glory will be seen upon you. 
Uh, One commentator, Oswald, writes it this way. He says, the wonder of this chapter is that the glory of the Lord is to be reflected from Israel. Israel has a special role to play in God's redemptive plan in displaying Yahweh's glory. We know this from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis when Yahweh himself comes to Abram and says, Abram, I want to make of you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all the peoples of the world. We've known this from the beginning. So let me just cut to the chase here. Yahweh's glory that's referenced here is Jesus. Jesus is the glory of Yahweh. The dawning light that he's speaking of is Jesus, the Son of God. Consider these verses that will be on the screen behind me. Isaiah 9 and verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Which leads to this prophecy a few verses later. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Notice this last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this his zeal will accomplish this we find an even clearer explanation of this in John chapter 1 and uh, I believe these are on the screen behind me as well John chapter 1 John begins his gospel in this way in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made and in him in this word was life and the life was the light the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it see there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all men might believe through him. John was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. If you come back next week, we're going to look at a little of John's prophecy as well from Luke chapter 1. But notice verse 9 here in John 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The light has come into the darkness. As we learned last week in Isaiah 59, the only hope for Israel, the entire human race, is the coming of God. He has come, and He will come again. 
Like, like the dawning of a new day to bring healing, peace, and righteousness that we cannot accomplish ourselves. I think we said it this way last week. Uh, salvation cannot come from us. Salvation must come to us. The light must come to us because the light cannot come from us. But the dawn of light gives way to the draw of light. This is verses 3 through 16 back in Isaiah chapter 60. Bugs love light, don't they? In summer months, you can, you can stand out here and you can see them buzzing by the thousands around the lights that are here in our parking lot or on the side of the building. I love that scene uh, from A Bug's Life when the bug's trying to fly into the, uh, the bug zapper and he's like, don't do it. And he's like, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> he flies right in and zaps him. They love it. And just as bugs are attracted to light, so the nations. So the nations will be attracted to the light of Yahweh. Let's read through this section, then we're going to come back. I just want to focus on a couple of points. So we're back in Isaiah uh, chapter 60, verse 3. And the nations will come to your light, and the kings the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. And then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those uh, from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of uh, cedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? From the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar. Their silver and their gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God. And for the Holy One of Israel because He has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls. And their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you. But in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with the kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you, well, it'll perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, 
am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Two quick points. There is a promise here of Israel's return from Babylon. They haven't yet gone into Babylonian captivity. The other prophets have prophesied that it's coming because of their failure to heed, their failure to repent. But it is coming, but he says, your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters will be carried on their hip. But it not only references the return from Babylon, but the future. Something even further distant into the future when God will gather His people to the Messiah, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Second, there's a promise here that the nations will, will bring their gifts to Israel. This is what most of this passage consists of. But it's not that they're bringing their gifts to Israel. They're bringing their gifts to the light to the light, capital L, light. They're bringing their gifts to the Messiah, to the Christ. The, these verses beautifully and poetically describe how the nations use the sea trade and, and the trade routes that are established to bring all of the goods to this great King, to this Lord. They use all of these things to offer their gifts. But I wonder if you noticed anything Christmassy in those gifts, in the prophecies that were laid out. Look with me again at verse 6. They'll bring gold and they'll bring frankincense. And they'll bring good news. The praise of Yahweh. These were the gifts of the Magi that are recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2. They brought their gold, they brought their frankincense, they brought their myrrh, they brought praises that they gave. But what I want you to consider is that the Magi brought those gifts foreshadowing a day when all of the nations will bring the gold and the frankincense to Jesus. That's not ultimately fulfilled in the Magi. That will ultimately be fulfilled in the coming kingdom of Jesus. These guys just got to play a part along the way. It concludes with these words in verse 16, And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer. I am the Mighty One of Jacob. What a powerful promise. You will know who I am. And so what I hope is that you are starting to see how prophecy shows us peaks, but not always valleys how we see the events, but we don't always see the time that exists between those points and events and how they're fulfilled over time. So in one line here, he, he references the return from Babylon, which is, for their vantage point, a couple hundred years away. But then in the next line, it's a reference to the eternal reign of Jesus, which we don't know how long we will wait for his eternal reign and his return how the nations will come to him. But we also have to point out that, that, that Jesus has already come. Give credit to John. John points this out in John chapter 1, what we just read, that, that the light has come. The light came to the darkness. The first advent. And even in what Isaiah prophesies, we see glimpses of that advent, the gold and the frankincense that are brought, the praises that come. 
But I have news for you. Even though we celebrate the advent of Jesus and we recognize that and we light candles recognizing the weeks in anticipation of that first coming, the O come, O come, Emmanuel, that Israel would have longed for. There's a second advent coming. These candles don't simply represent a waiting for the Messiah to come as a baby. They represent a waiting for the Messiah to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Isaiah is referencing that as he's looking forward to that day. And he sees this peak that he will come and the nations will come to him and they'll bring their goods and they'll bring their worship. This time it won't involve a virgin birth or suffering or crucifixion. He'll come to establish his kingdom. And we even see in here a reference that maybe Paul pulls from in Philippians chapter 2 where he says every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. This time righteousness will be permanently established. As it says in verse 18, violence, violence will be no more heard of in your land. You know, there's a very popular Christmas song, Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. There is some debate. What's he writing about? Is he writing about the first advent when Jesus came? Or is he writing about the second advent when Jesus will return? If you read the lyrics, I think you can, you can twist and apply to both. But when you look at verse 2, he says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Referenced in verse 18 that violence will be no more heard of in your land. When he returns, righteousness will be the standard of life. He will rule, he will reign in righteousness. And this time, the light will remain. What Isaiah promises and prophesies here, John sees in the revelation of Jesus Christ. He records his vision, in particularly in Revelation 21, and I want to ask you to turn there with me if you would. We won't read all of this chapter. John, man, John is invited to see with his own eyes what Isaiah prophesies about. Here in chapter 60. In Revelation 21, John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, they had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with Man, Emmanuel, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
And because of this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Because the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. As he moves into verse 9, he begins to describe this heavenly city. He describes the colors. He describes the gates. But I want you just to look with me at verse 21. We'll pick up at the very end of that description. He says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made with a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. What an incredible sight. Notice verse 22, though. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb of God. But its light will be, the na by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. My friends, as we struggle and stumble through this dark world, our hope is this, that the light has come. The Lamb has come. There is light. That light has dawned and that light will dawn again even more glory. By faith, we live out of this promise. By faith, we live out of this prophecy that Isaiah writes for us here in chapter 60. As it says in verse 16, You will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. You will know. Do you know this today? Do you know that He is your Redeemer? Do you have that hope? Do you know the light of Christ. Have you seen it? Do you believe this? Isaiah 60 closes with this simple but profound truth. I am Yahweh 
And in its time, I will hasten it. What's that mean? Hasten what? The promise. It will happen. It will be fulfilled. The light will dawn again. The completion of what Isaiah prophesies about here in chapter 60. Life in this dark world can be painful. It can be grievous. It can be very confusing. There's many families who are moving into this holiday season and their hearts are full of grief. I think I've prayed daily, I've wept a few times just putting myself in Michael's shoes. His daughter Audra is dying of cancer. She's battled valiantly for a few years now. But hospice has been called in. I've thought of her kids. I've thought of Michael as a dad who can't step in and intervene, who would probably be willing to do whatever he had to do to step in and intervene in the grief that he is feeling. Our weeping may endure for the night. But when morning, but morning is coming, our light has come. These promises just, they're not just something that should be um, facts on a page for us, but something that, that causes us to, to wake up every morning and be filled with hope. To wake up every morning and share that hope with our families and to wake up every morning and share that hope of the light of Christ with, with those who are hurting around us and there's no shortage of those people. There's no shortage of darkness that needs light. Jesus himself will wipe away every tear. What a promise. Would you bow with me this morning? I want to give us just a moment for prayer. One thing I really want you to see as we've tackled some of these prophecies, and some of these are obscure and, yes, difficult to dive into and dig all of the details out, but this book that we've been gifted, this, this, this copy prophecies and promises from Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of Jesus cover to cover. It's a story of a father's love for his people, cover to cover. Today, are you in the darkness? And that's really a silly question, isn't it? Because, yeah, we are. In some manner, in some means, we find ourselves in this world. Today, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you as we consider this second week of Advent is to by faith look to the light. Today, look to Jesus. Set your hope on Him. There's no government that can do what He can do. There's no 
earthly relationship that can do what he can do. Set your hope on him, the light of Christ. If you're here today and you, you don't know that hope, you don't know the Redeemer, the salvation, we'd love to take you deeper into God's Word and show you. And so in this moment where heads are bowed, if you want to know more, or you're here today and you just, you need to pray with somebody. Things are difficult. The grief, the darkness is thick. I'd invite you just to my right, to your left, to our prayer room over here to the side, and we've got folks that would love to pray with you, take you deeper into Scripture. That's what you need today. And so I'm going to be quiet and invite you to come if you need to pray with somebody, but invite you, if you're, if you're not even going to do that, just to pray where you're at and give thanks for the light that we have in Jesus. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. In our rebellion, God, you loved us. In our continuing acts of rebellion, God, you continue to love and show patience, and you are so long-suffering. Lord, I think of that moment when Jesus is there in Jerusalem and he weeps over the city. He weeps that they've ignored Isaiah. They've ignored the other prophets. They've ignored the law. And they don't even know who he is. Yet in love, He lays down His life for them. He lays down His life for us. God, we rejoice in the truth that the light has come. We rejoice in the truth that Jesus has come. He's come and He is redeemed. God, we rejoice even more in the truth that we know He is coming again. And when He comes again, He will wipe away all the tears. He will rid creation of the darkness that we experience day in and day out as we stumble through this world. And He will reign in righteousness. And God, by faith, we look forward to that day. And so I pray that You would help us as we move through just difficult seasons and circumstances in our families, in our own souls, in our communities, as we even think about globally all of the things that are happening, all of the death and the destruction and the deceit. The King is coming. God, we anticipate that day. Thank you that we know that light has come. Our light has come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say one more thing. Uh, before Chuck comes and gives us a few closing remarks. Jesus was very clear in the Sermon on the Mount uh, when he said this, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do men light a candle and put it under a bush. We're called to be the light of Christ. We're called to reflect just as Israel was, right? Just as God had promised to Abraham and told him, this is what you're to be. We're called to represent and reflect the light of Christ in our homes, 
in our community, in the world. Be that light. Share that hope as we move through this holiday season. There's a lot of people who need it. Chuck. Mm-hmm.